Well, good morning, church. And it's good to be back. Thank you for all your prayers. As I went to Whitby and Fidalgo Islands, uh, way up in the northwest of the nation, to work with believers up there, kind of isolated. Well, not kind of, very isolated. Do that every year, and uh, they thank you as well. And I appreciate Trace and all who stepped up and made sure that you didn't miss me at all. So today, we've talked about the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. We've, re we've, um, we've even repeated the Apostle Creed several times, not quite the Nicene Creed yet. And today, we start working through them line by line to see why, why and how they held together people of, um, of all the nations that Christianity went into for hundreds and hundreds of years. This statement of, this is what we believe, this is what sets us apart, this is why we are a family. The creeds open appropriately by stating our faith in God the Father. The Apostles' Creed, if you'd repeat with me, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. The Nicene Creed phrases it this way, if you'd as well read with me. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things, visible and invisible. Now, I work a lot with atheists, and I respect them. And you know that here at Fourth Avenue, we don't make fun or talk down to anybody, and we don't do that with atheists either. They're atheists for a reason, just as we are believers for a reason. And I want to let you know one of the things atheists will say to you, and I have had it said to me, several times, and that is, well, you're an atheist too. And you, of course, will pull back and say, I am not. And they'll say, yes, you are. You don't believe in Thor. You don't believe in Odin. You don't believe in Loki or any of the Hindu gods or Zeus or Aphrodite. And most Christians that I know of get a little bit of unbalance there because they weren't ready for that line. Be ready for that line. They will say, you, you're just an atheist about all gods except you've chosen to keep one in your pocket. Well, we don't keep God in our pocket. We know that. But this premise falls apart once examined. But let's just talk about this for a while. It's true. We reject other gods, thousands of them. story I've told you before, which um, I've always just found fascinating. A friend of mine was in India. And there was a village on the other side where they had to go. And there was a stream between them, rather wide, very shallow, but running very quickly. As they were crossing this stream, they, uh, my friend got a little bit out of balance and thought, uh, I'm about to fall. So there was a little round rock. And he just kind of timed his fall to sit around and, and sit on the rock. Well, about that time, some saffron-robed individuals leapt from their houses holding brooms, charged into the stream and started beating him. He found out later this was their god. You know, my, my first response was, if you have a god that can be sat on, we do need to examine others and, and look. But they, they considered this a holy thing, and my friend had done a very bad thing to them. We look at that and say, I don't believe in that, and they call us atheists. The first and major charge Lay, uh, leveled against Christians in the Roman Empire was they are atheist because they will not sacrifice to our gods. They don't revere our gods. And that's what holds the Roman Empire together. And if you don't do that, you're an atheist. Well, 
I get that. I understand it. I'm not surprised by it. I was, uh, and years ago, I went up to speak in Canada, and they had this little hotel for me, and, and I walked in, and right behind the people clerking me in were uh, a, a collection of idols, uh, Hindu, Hindu gods. I did not consider them a threat to me. I didn't think, oh, if I stay here, those gods will get me. No, I look upon it more as a team jersey. You know, this is who we root for. This is our team. It didn't bother me at all. They just showed what the person believed and where they stood. I'm certain now, then, I was certain then, and I'm certain now that they're in error if they believe that those gods exist. But that doesn't mean we don't treat these people with great respect and love and grace. So how can I reject all these other gods? Just out of hand, actually. Many of them don't even know their names, never read their stories. I just don't believe in them. And yet, hold on to the one God of the Bible. It's a very fair question. And the answer is because of evidence and checkability. Now, we could spend a very long time looking at this because we have. Uh, one of the first years I was here, we did a whole class upstairs on Christian evidences. And I would assume it's still online somewhere. Uh, you can go back and have a look at it. But we're going, to, we're going to have a look today because I want you to know something. All my life, I've had people, when I was facing something pretty rough, say, Patrick, you just have to believe. God never says that. Never. Our faith is always going to be evidence-based. Have a look at the scripture on this. Now, faith is the substance. I went to the King James because I just love the phraseology. Now, faith is the substance. I love that. It's, it's a thing of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And then, if you go to the NIV, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I love the NIV. You know that. I use it for almost all my sermons. But they did take a lot of meat out of that verse. Take a look at the message. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under every firm foundation that makes everything, under everything, that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we cannot see. We are told to believe in what comes with evidence. We're told to believe in what we can understand to exist from the things that we do see. For example, we do believe in things we don't see. We believe in atoms. We've talked about atoms here. We believe in molecules. You're not seeing them. We believe in solar winds. Even if you don't really think about them, when somebody goes, oh, the solar winds are doing this, you don't go pagan. You, you believe. You think. By the way, don't do that with anything. We, we believe in the existence of other Earth-sized planets, although I've not seen them. Don't have a telescope for it. I flew there and back, and I believed in the qualifications of the pilot, even though I never met him, and he uh, never really said hello or anything. I didn't get to check the call, but I believed, and he was very helpful, you know, as we're flying. He says, we're at, we're at 37,000 feet, and we're going to take this route over here, and I'm going, you don't really need to tell me, because I, I have no input into this, and I, I do not understand your job anyway. Your job is to fly the plane that's all we need to know, all right? Uh, but anyway, I believe in this. 
We believe, in, uh, be very careful, watch this. We believe in the love of our friends and our family, but love is not something you can see. You see what love creates, what love does, and how you feel around it, and the little space it gives you, but you don't see love. I know my wife loves me and I love her. We've been a couple for over 40 years and married for 39 years, so there's something there. But I can't walk in and see the love-o-meter and see where I stand in this particular universe. That, that would be helpful. Uh, it would be very helpful. But I, we don't see this. And so, um, you know, that's why men enter a room in stages. They kind of look around. <laughs> they just kind of... You don't want to expose all of your body, you know, just uh, let's, let's see how that works. It's, we feel love, we see love. We're looking at evidence and making our judgment from the evidence. We do that with everything, and we can do that with God. I believe that any God that wants to be a part of our life and belief system, any God that wants us to react to him or her should give us reason to do so. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. When you read the Icelandic sagas, what evidence is laid down to convince you of their truth, of Odin and Thor and Loki? When I read the Quran, I came across the same problem. And we've had Muslim guests here. If you remember, one time we had this almost whole section here full of our Muslim friends. And we love them. But when I talk to them, I'll say, you know, the, the, there's a big difference between our scriptures. I can't find evidence and checkability in yours. There are lots of assumptions. There are lots of assertions there. But when it comes to evidence, it came up empty. When I read the writings of the founders of the Baha'i and Zoroastrian faiths, and recently I was asked by some Baha'i people to read some of their books, and I did. I found some good stuff. But nothing telling me that this came from, shall we say, off-site. Nothing that shows me that this came from outside the planet, that this came from outside the solar system, that there was information here that could not have been written by somebody who was just sitting around thinking good thoughts. Needed more. Remember, the creeds don't say, we believe God wrote a book with a lot of good stuff in it. It says, we believe in the existence of a God a being who exists outside of time and the restrictions of physics. He is the creator of a universe who is not himself a part of the universe. Now that's an amazing assertion and it's only fair for an atheist to ask us to justify that belief. We'll spend the rest of our time this morning on this and we could spend a lot more I read an article this weekend by an atheist that was saying this, this, making this claim about us, saying all of these faiths have absurdities, and they're, you just choose your absurdities. He wrote a book about it, and I was reading an article based on the book. Uh, and one of the, he even said things like, you know, if you believe that it's proper to uh, say that you're eating the body and blood of someone who is your savior, well, then you're in the Christian camp. And I'm thinking, you don't understand the Jewish culture at all. To a Jew, we, they knew this wasn't cannibalism. They, what they meant by this was when we eat, we remember our Lord. When we come to the table, we focus on our Lord and our unity. But he didn't get that. And that's all right. 
he doesn't come here, and he's probably not been to a lot of Bible school, so he missed that bit. If there, remember what Alexander Campbell himself said, if there is no God, nothing matters. But if there is a God, nothing else matters. So, there are many interesting statements in Scripture that give us a good reason to believe that at least once something reached in from outside the box, the universe, and gave us information, and most likely has repeatedly entered the box, the universe, and given us things we could not have gotten or come up with on ourselves. Years ago here, I did, a, uh, I think it was two sermons, on Leviticus. Leviticus chapters 11 through 18. And you can go back and have a look at those. But if you, uh, these chapters are hard to read for most people. Because Leviticus is a difficult book. It's not one of those, you know my favorite devotional book? Leviticus. You'll never hear that. You will never hear that. But these chapters have a lot to do with me standing here professing belief in God. Because there are things in these chapters that had to come from off-site. There's science here, which is way beyond anything we had come up with at the time of the writing of Leviticus. For example, the germ theory. Now, this morning, uh, there are a lot of people coughing in the area uh, as our, our fall gift uh, of mold and fungi has arrived. The temperatures have not, but you know, we want to make sure that the mold has. And so, you know, there's coughing, and I, so there's a new little baby amongst us, and I said, I love you, I will not touch you. I said, at this stage, I am a Petri dish. Uh, I, I will go home, I will burn these clothes, we'll say a little prayer. Um, I'll go through about 500 little moist towelettes, and then we'll be fine. Uh, the, the germ theory we didn't come up with for the longest time, but in Le Leviticus 11, it says, if this touches this, which touches this, which touches this, which touches this, and the thing at the beginning was unclean, this is unclean. In fact, they were even told, you do these things, there will be none of these diseases that will hit you. And it is an amazing repository of science anywhere from 2,000 to 3,000 years too soon to be on the planet. There's an evidence somebody gave us information that we, don't, we, we could not have had on our own. What foods are safe? Covered by there. How to keep the house and kitchen clean? All in there. Childbirth. How to keep the mama and the baby safe? How to do bonding with the daughters, with the sons, with the community that keeps them all safe? Skin diseases. Which ones are are, are dangerous to the community and which ones are just birthmarks or a rash and are fine. How to deal with, hey, there it is again, mold in, in our clothing or mildew in our houses. How to cleanse and treat skin diseases and all these things. Discharges, and that's as far as I'll go with that particular one. And the danger of illness in a tight-knit moving community. Systemic illness as opposed to contact illness. If you don't know what I mean by that, systemic means that you have ingested or you have somehow, it's in your body. Um, in other words, there were some things you weren't allowed to wash and then eat because the disease is in there. Um, every, every year in America, and it's not just America, people die because some sewage got into the water system and they're eating the melons from there. And it's not just melons, uh, so you don't, if you don't like melons, you can't use that as an excuse. 
The point is, we know all of this now. They knew none of that then, nor did they know it until a very long time after. The earliest you could even guess about this is the 1600s, and it wasn't proven until the 1800s. And yet, the book of Leviticus has it there. Let's just say bathroom issues, which everybody here violates, and just makes me shake your head. <sighs> um, when you flush a toilet, there's this cute little viral mist that enters the room. Over there, across the way, looking at it, it's your toothbrush. Hello. Um, the Bible in Leviticus would not allow you to do this. and doesn't mention toothbrushes, but about separation and about cleanliness. And as a guy that travels all over and has to use public restrooms, let me just say once again, wash your hands. I want to tackle people when they're leaving, but they're unclean, so I can't touch them. It's, it's really, it's very frustrating. And they, and they check you before you get in that you don't have a weapon. And I think that's why, uh, because they don't want me to stand there and start just whacking people on the head with something. I would do it in Christian love. I, I would. Um, the grace of the Lord be with you. No eating of blood because blood can give systemic issues. Uh, sexual laws banning incest in chapter 18. You might be saying, oh, it was legal before. It, it was not only legal, it was necessary. Because when you're a small traveling band of family, dating options are not it's not a buffet. It's a snack machine. <laughs> These are your options. This is what you've got. Best of luck. Now, you might say, didn't they have all kinds of genetic issues? No, because remember when we were created, we were created pristine and without issues. Every time DNA replicates, it makes mistakes. Therefore, we... Um, we now can't get away with what they could have a thousand, two thousand years before Jesus. And so God sets that up for them. And I love the way he does it. And there's so much more I could say about this, and as you know, but moving on. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. The first law of thermodynamics is in the Bible. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, done in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Rest in Hebrew does not mean he was tired. Rest means he stops. The work is done. Um, the next passage there, please, out of Hebrews. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they will never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. Remember we talked about that recently. First law of thermodynamics, everything that exists, all matter and all energy existed at the beginning. Big bang or whether God set it off or whether nothing got bored being nothing and decided to arrange itself and explode, choose your story. But regardless, every atom at the beginning is all the atoms we've got now. And remember our atom story when we talked about the thin place of birth a month or so ago. It's sometimes called the law of constancy. And it replaced spontaneous generation, which you can look that up if you'd like. But even the second law of thermodynamics is in Scripture. Uh, we'll go to Hebrews chapter 1. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. Here we go. 
they will all wear out like a garment. Let's look at the other ones, and then we'll talk about what this law is. Lift your eyes to the heaven, look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. Oh, that's interesting. I got a theme going. And its inhabitants die like flies. Sorry. Isaiah wrote that. Um, but my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fall. Contrasting entropy of the earth in, such, in our lives with his constancy. And then uh, in Psalms. They will perish, but you remain. Oh, look, they will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded. There's a second law of thermodynamics called the law of entropy. We only came up with that in 1850, 3,000 years after Leviticus and all these books. How did this information get in there? If you don't understand the law of entropy, it means... Everything goes from organized to disorganized. If you don't believe that, look at your house. It does. It never spontaneously cleans. It'll spontaneously go into disorder. If you've ever moved house, you know this. Because you keep going through things. Why do we have this? Why are we keeping this? Well, we're not keeping it. And we get rid of all kinds of stuff. What happens next time you move? Why, why do we have this? Well, entry, look at your lawn. If you work, 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 work on it, looks all right. Let it go for a while. See what the homeowners association says, but let it go for a bit and see what happens. It never gets better. It never forms majestic gardens and hedges shaped like animals. It doesn't do that. Everything wears out. Explosions don't create giraffes. We had, we had to have help with this to organize the atoms and to bring them up. we got to have somebody off-site giving us all this. Plus, how did they know this? By the way, I've had people come, we, we need to adjust this because people will say, no, no, watch this because our, our kids are growing stronger, taller, and alike. They are. We're also having a lot more problems with all kinds of um, diseases, inflammatory diseases, uh, immune diseases, we're also having a lot more problems with uh, obesity. But if you want to pick a selection and say, look at these people at Olympics. They're running faster. They're jumping higher. They're doing all that. Absolutely. But they are absorbing resources from other places to do this. Uh, trainers, kinesiologists, sports medicine, the, all kinds of nutrition. They're, they're getting all of that. And even then, they can only burst and do this for a little while. And then there's the knee replacements, the shoulder replacements, there's the bad back, there's the Advil, there's the... Because it only, happen, only lasts for a while. Some of, some of you used to be in shape. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to point. Uh, you know, I, I never was, so, you know, I, I feel like I arrived here naturally without all that other absorbing of other resources. But here's the point. The law is the law is the law. How about, i gotta got to do these fast, uh, Genesis chapter 3 and then chapter 13. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. All the land will see I will give to you and your offspring forever. Now, that's the NIV. What do we know what the word offspring 
was seed. And he was talking to a woman. Well, for the longest time, people kept thinking women were just incubators for the man's seed. So if there were no babies, it was always the woman's fault. The first guy to think that females might contribute something was Michael Sellos of Constantinople, and that was about 1000 AD, and he didn't push it. Leonardo da Vinci, around 1500, noticed that whenever two people of different colors married, their kids were a blend, and he thought, huh, the woman must do something, but then he didn't develop any of this at all. It was, the male sperm was not found until 1677, but it was 1880 when they finally thought, I'm not making these terms up, when the spermatist and ovist gathered in a big, long convention and fought it out. And you do not want to see scientists fight because they don't know how. It is, it's just sad. It's just, it's sad. Anyway, it was decided in 1880 that women might have a seed that contributes to the makeup of the child. How did the first couple chapters of the Bible know this? Seed of woman. 1 Corinthians 15, 39. Uh, not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, fish another. Well, Schleiden and Schwann, two German researchers, published a paper where they specifically said that they had proven the Bible wrong because under a microscope they found all tissue of living beings is the same. Uh, until the electron microscope was created. Earliest was 1930, it was very rudimentary, but now it's gotten quite well. And we found that there are four kinds of tissue. Humans, beast, fowl, and fish. Huh. Well, how about Acts 17, 26? From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. Wouldn't the world be so much better if we understood we all come from one father? There are no races. There are no divisions. There should be no enmity among us. We are all one family. Margaret Sanger pushed hard for contraception and abortion rights, but she did it for the purpose of wiping out anything brown in the race. And today, to this day, they give Margaret Sanger awards to people who push for abortion not perhaps realizing that she was trying to be a genocidal individual, wiping out what she considered the lesser races. It's always amazing, isn't it? Everybody thinks their race is the top one. <clears throat> How'd that happen? Handy for them. The fact is, God is right. We are all one people, and I'll do one more here. Uh, Isaiah 40, 22, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. His people are like grasshoppers. It, just, it doesn't mean you're like, it means you're, you're small. When he looks down, he stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Uh, let's go to Job 26, 7 to back it up. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. When Job wrote this, there was a theory about what the earth sat on. It, they, I'm not making this up. In Mesopotamia, during Job's time, they believed that the earth was sitting on the back of a turtle. That, not yet, not yet that was swimming in a bowl of milk. Amen. I love that. That's, 
You know, you have won me over. That's fun. I enjoy that one. And you can sit and play with it. And whenever you're in an earthquake, go, oh, the turtle moved. Um, That's a bad thing. And yet, how did the Bible talk about circles of the earth? And that the northern skies, if you point your telescopes there, have far less than the other for reasons we don't know. I didn't even get to checkability. This is evidence. Checkability is very simple. If God says such and such, in the Bible rather, if it says uh, so-and-so was the ruler and they were named such and such and did such and such, when you go into history, it's there. Whenever uh, everything in the history that we find, we dig up, it, it matches. Now, we haven't found everything. But what we do find backs up scripture. Evidence and checkability is why I'm standing here and not in one of the other churches. So yes, I am an atheist when it comes to all of those gods. But examining the evidence means I have to believe in this one. That there is a God and he did speak to us and we can trust him. I'll ask Mark to bring his group back up here before we sing out. And we'll have classes. The others is a class here. And there are great classes upstairs. The others studies the uh, beings written in scripture that don't like us very much. And so we, we look at that here. But we could go on and on, and we will. We're going to talk about the other lines of the creeds as well. But this is very important. We don't believe in God because he makes us feel better. We don't believe in him because we were told to. We believe in him because we possess a library of ancient literature that gives us information that could not have been acquired on site. It had to be inserted into our universe. There is someone off-site who has reached in and made himself known. In him, we believe. Amen, church?